Hi guys, I'm Claire. And I'm Katie. And welcome back to the Margarita Madness podcast. Woo-hoo. Yes, we're happy to be back. <laughs> okay, so let's get right into it. Today, we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Madeline McCann. Um, if you're a true crime person at all, or even if you're not really, you've probably seen the Netflix documentary or heard about it. It's a pretty big case. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get started, I just want to give credits um, to like where we got this information. So credits to um, the True Crime Obsessed podcast. They did a um, a whole series on this following the Netflix documentary and to the actual Netflix documentary, The Disappearance of Madeline McCann on Netflix. Yeah. So now that we've given credits, <laughs> Katie's going to take it away with our background. Okay, so Anthony Summers and Robin Swan wrote a book and are the narrators of the case on the of the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just gonna start that. So Madeline McCann was three years old, and this is a really high profile case. Like I'm pretty sure everyone knows about it. Like if you don't, where have you been? Yeah. So uh, Madeline's parents, Kate and Jerry, had tried to have kids for many years, resorting to IVF, and had their first child, Madeline. And then they're from Le- Leicester, Leicester, UK? Leicester. Leicester. Oh, I think wow, it's pronounced. I don't know anything. We, it's hard to pronounce. I think it's Leicester. Okay. So Jerry, her dad was a doctor and Kate was a part-time general practitioner, mostly staying home with her kids. She felt uneasy about the vacation before going. So personally, like red flag already. Why are you going? Yeah, that was just kind of thrown in there in the documentary, but it did say that she was just kind of feeling like nervous and uneasy before they went to Portugal which is like good point like maybe it was for a good reason yeah so they went on the 28th of April 2009 I assume with like their friends Mm -hmm. nine adults and their kids went to Praia de Luz Mm uh so they stayed at the ocean club beach resort that's what it's called yeah fun fact um i went to portugal in 2016 um and i literally spent um a day there uh and the church that you actually see throughout the documentary if you've watched it like i like saw and there was like a wedding happening there and i actually remember like walking through and by the resort like the kind of big resort they were staying at because i thought it looked so cool i was like oh like we should go here like next time we go um after this documentary we'll not be staying yeah (laughs) um so (laughs) uh kids club and adults meet very social holiday clearly if there is like nine adults yeah so i guess from my understanding like the kid there was kind of um like a daycare kind yeah, of like kids resorts, club there. Have, it's technically a daycare, but they call it like a kids club yeah. so kids actually want to go. Yeah, so then the parents can kind of do their like own their thing. own thing there. Yeah. Um, so they operated a night babysitting service, decided it didn't suit them, like the family, and they would have to put them down too early and pick them up too late, and it would disrupt their children. Okay. <laughs> this is just kind of crazy to me. Like, I just... That doesn't make sense to me. I know. I don't know. Like, it, it didn't suit you. Like, I, and I'm just saying, like, literally like again, I want to be like, those were, those were the words in the, used yeah. in the documentary. Like, it didn't suit them. Like, what do you mean you have to put them down too early or pick them up too late? Your like, daughter's three. She probably goes to bed at, like, 8 p.m. Yeah, and mean? maybe that's what they meant. Like, they didn't want to disturb them by picking, yeah, picking getting them up them, and waking but, like, them up. But, 
I don't, I don't know. know. Like, in hindsight, it probably would have been a better option. Yeah. But, you know, all hindsight, right? Uh, okay. Um, the tapas restaurant was across the pool and below the McCain apartment where they were staying, apartment mm-hmm. 5A. Uh, 60 yards as the crow flies, 100 yards exact to walk. Yeah, so basically, like, if you're measuring it, like, the yeah. quickest route, route, it's 60 yards, but to actually, like, walk the it. walk, um, it, it's, like, 100 yards. Um, so they had dinner there while leaving their children alone in the room. Parents said they could see the apartment. Okay, I'm gonna, like, yell here, okay? I know, in so- all capitals, <laughs> and highlighted in our shared notes, Here's Claire the- wrote, <laughs> they say it's close, but it's obviously not close enough if you can't see someone take your child. Ah, like, she's yelling with, like, six exclamation marks. But that's the thing, like, okay, they say, like, it's close, like... And it- they can see it. Yeah, like, it's close, um, I think Jerry was even quoted in the documentary saying, like, it's, it's not dissimilar to having dinner on your back patio and i'm like sir i'm sorry like if you're not close enough to see someone come and take your child then you're not you're, close enough you're not leave close the door enough. unlocked like, I'm, this I'm, is I'm what sorry. makes me confused because if maybe they could maybe they mean like they could see the building but not the front door because it was unlocked like mm-hmm. maybe they just couldn't see the front door mm-hmm. but still if you can't see the front door i'd be a little panicked yeah yeah so um so obviously as we said they left the door unlocked yeah. because i guess they thought they were close enough they set up a baby listening service every 20 minutes they would go and listen for their own children it's so crazy so in the documentary and also in the podcast that i listened to about the, the case in the documentary they said like there was a lot of emphasis on that they would only go and check on their own children but if there's so here's nine the thing, adults that, that's there's obviously the other children yeah but that's the math so if one person is going every 20 minutes to check on their own children that's a while until you get back to the original person going unless i'm misunderstanding what they're saying because they're saying like every 20 minutes one of the parents will go, go look and at, check on their, own, their children. own child so that's like a while before you get yeah back, you circle right? back around yeah okay maybe that's just me but but that's like, how i took it too right. when i was i don't know if like that's a misunderstanding this. but like crazy but did they were they staying together all those children no like i think they were in their own apartment oh yeah yeah so it would be such that's yeah if you're already there why would you not go look at the other apartment and see the other kids anyways moving on so the night before madeline had asked why her mom didn't come last night when sean and emily the twins Mm -hmm. were crying yeah which is kind of crazy to me like could could that have been the abductor like coming the night before and even and even if it wasn't like that's part of the reason why it's like seems so crazy to leave them there without someone like not like let let alone the whole like they could get abducted like whatever even if that's not a thought like what they wake up and you're not there like they're scared like young yeah like i'm just Okay. Oh, it sounds like we're coming for the parents really hard here. But we're not. We're not. We're, we're going to say right on. off the bat, we don't think they had anything to do with yeah, this. Just... It's horrible. And and these are the things that they probably think, right? Like, if only yeah. we had locked the door. So We're just trying so to make sense we're of not, the situation. Yeah, we're not coming for them at all. We just are, like, trying to make sense of the situation exactly. Okay. And then, lastly, for background, in the afternoon on the Thursday, the kids were particularly tired. So they were going to get takeaway from the tapas restaurant and eat on the balcony but then they decided to mm-hmm. go out yeah so that was on the night that um this whole 
uh, event situation happened. happened. Yeah. yeah. So now we're going to kind of get into the actual, like, timeline of the night. So yeah. at half past five that night, Kate went to meet the children um, coming back from the kitty club. Um, Madeline was tired and was carried home by Kate. Like, she was so tired she couldn't even walk. Um, and Kate read her, read to her and the other children. And Madeline fell asleep before she even finished. So by their timeline that they gave, by 5.30, the kids were asleep. already asleep. Um, so then uh, Kate and Jerry, they got ready for their evening and had um, a first glass of wine. Which honestly... Like they make a they make a real point of that in documentary. Like, girl, if it's vacation and you're only having your first glass of wine at five thirty, like, good for you, sis. I know, like, really, <laughs> really. That's um, what vacation is for. Yeah, and then uh, Jerry came in to get ready and said good night to the kids. So, half past eight, they walked to the Tapas restaurant, um, and they got settled, and they were um, a few of the first to arrive, like from the whole group that Friend they were group, yeah. coming. So Matt Oldfield um, told the McCanns when he got there, so around 9 p.m., that everything was quiet uh, as he walked by the McCann apartment on the outside. And in my little notes beside, highlighted in yellow, I have, but didn't actually have eyes on the kids. Like, I'm sorry, just like walked by, looked at the building, was like, huh. That building still looks the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like, sir. What? Sir, you don't want to, like, get eyes on the kid? Like, okay. If the door's unlocked, just take a little peep. Just take a little peep. Yeah. (laughs) Just take a little peep. Um, Again, we're going to say this a thousand times. Not coming for the parents. They were, they never thought that anything like this would happen. We just really Um, are trying to make sense of the situation. So, yeah, yeah, we're not coming for anyone. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're coming for some people, not the parents. (laughs) Um, so at 9.05, Jerry went to make the first check on his own children. So he went into the apartment by the back patio door, um, which is unlocked, and everything seemed fine. Just to interrupt, to if that was their first time checking and they left them at 8? Mm-hmm. Like, you can, mm-hmm. that's before anyone checked on any children. Yeah. Before even the start of the rotation, yeah. that's already an hour. Yeah, so that's the thing. They never, they didn't really stick to this whole, like, 20, 20 minute, minute schedule at all. Like, really. Um, so, yeah, he, everything seems fine. He actually has eyes on the kids, I believe, according to the documentary. Seems that way. Um, again, according to the documentary and the podcast that I give credits to. Yeah. Um, so at 9.25, um, Kate was going to go. But Matt Oldfield said that he would check on his kids and hers uh, for the McCanns. So he went through the back patio door, um, just like Jerry. And again, it was unlocked, um, but didn't go into the room. Uh, he saw some light, a sound as it um, that he said sounded like someone like turning over in bed um, and no other sound uh, and went away like comfortable that the kids were fine. And again, no eyes on the kids. You're just going to, like, walk in the But if you apartment. saw some light and a sound, don't yeah. you think you would go check? And here's the thing, like, wouldn't, wouldn't, like, they're small children. Would would them turning over really make, make that, that much, much of a noise? You'd be able to, like, hear them from outside. Like, questions. But outside also, the door. where is the light coming from? Who turned on the light? Well, I think he meant, like, light coming in from, like, you know, it's not completely dark. Uh, like, light yes, coming in yes. from the outside. Like, I don't think the light was on. Uh, from my 
understanding. Yeah. Um, but again, no eyes on the kids. Just peeped in. Um, so at like ten- parenting lessons, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So at 10 o'clock, um, Kate goes up through the patio door, sees more light than she expects to, which um, Matt also did. Um, and she is alarmed when a wind uh, slams the door shut. Uh, so she goes in, uh, and this is where she finds out Madeline is gone. Uh, which I can only imagine. Is like again, we're not coming from the parents. All like I can feeling. just imagine. Like I can't imagine actually. Yeah, but like, like the worst feeling. That just in must the world. be so terrifying. Terrifying. Petrifying. Like I'm not a parent, and probably won't be for a long time. But <laughs> oh my I god, know. that just must be the app- like you can't find your three year old girl. What do you do? Um, so she runs towards the restaurant screaming for dear life i am assuming yeah um and the general attitude was that she just kind of wandered off and i mean i guess that's kind of a normal like first instinct like you don't immediately go to like she's been abducted like maybe she walked out or i mean the door was unlocked or whatever yeah um so then everyone gets looking the staff um the guests like everyone yeah and then the police start to get involved so um in portugal there's two kind of branches of the police Mm -hmm. so the gnr which is the equivalent of like you know like your small town police surveillance patrol unit um they don't really have any power but they're the first on the scene yeah um which like when you want to get the big guns on the scene first i don't know maybe I, i think to me it sounds like they're probably the first to come to check out the situation because what if she did just happen just to wander off, off yeah. and then they're like called in this huge like army of Portugal and they're like why are yeah. we here okay, like true or like and maybe because they're local they probably get there faster oh yeah that's because true. if they're yeah if they're the equivalent to like a small town police unit they're probably local as opposed to like a bigger branch that has to come in from yeah. somewhere else yeah so this is so crazy so the first <laughs> theory that the GNR said and again this is like quote like this part is like a quote from the documentary like their first theory was that she quote wandered off and fell asleep (laughs) under the bush and i have like highlighted in letters what like literally Literally what what? like because like maybe it's understandable that she could have wandered off but the part where she fell asleep under a bush i'm just confused sir like like portugal police are you okay (laughs) are you good blink twice if you need help like um so Uh, But this kind of goes to, like, them kind of trying to downplay it, I think, was the point of putting that in. Like, they really don't want a bad rep. They don't want, like, the whole theme of this kind of case. um, Was that Portugal doesn't want a bad rep? Yeah, they don't don't want people thinking that, like, their child's going to go missing here. Well, they need tourists, so. Yeah, like, their whole, like, they really depend a lot on tourism, especially that area, so. Yeah. So at about midnight, taking their sweet time, the head of the GNR decides that now they need to alert someone in the PJ, uh, the pol- Policia Judiciaria. Again, <laughs> I, I can't, I don't speak Portuguese, so um, I'm just going to call it PJ from here on out. Um, the, so that's the major crime unit. Yeah. And like, sis, why did it take so long? It has been two hours. Like, There's like only I get, so like, many bushes like, like in I the get, area that she could have fallen asleep yeah, under. Like, I get that you would want to alert them like right away, but after like the smaller like patrol gets there and like they've looked around they haven't found her maybe like, let the then pj you'd want, know like, yeah they could help <laughs> so the pj came and they were immediately um shocked by the lack of preservation of the scene um which is kind of 
so I get it like they but also I don't know that the parents that their first thought would have necessarily been preserving a crime scene you know what I mean like they probably just want would want to have they're, anyone and yeah, everyone they're looking probably like, like throughout apart the apartment the room. Yeah. so yeah so um Jane Tanner at this point who was a friend of the McCann's just suddenly has a has a revelation uh, just a, just a uh, little tiny thought you know, popped she, into her head she, she didn't want to bother anyone before <laughs> she you know? didn't want to bother anyone until 12 when the major crime unit came yeah yeah so suddenly she remembers seeing a guy oh really walking with what looked like a sleeping child in light colored pajamas and bare feet and and we're just hearing <laughs> about this now like Jane girl Jane uh, that was 3 hours ago <laughs> i it's been three hours. Like, wouldn't you be like when you went back? Like, this is something totally strange. It's happened. been three hours, and two different crime units have come along. Like, the police have been here. Yeah. Um. Okay. So again, we're just kind of going um through this and kind of the way the documentary the same type of lays flow. it out. Yeah. Um. And, and it's really hard to get a flow because after, like, you know, the initial, um, like she's gone. Like, that's pretty much the case. So, after this, it's kind of, like, theories starting the investigation. So, the next person we learn about is Robert Murat. So, he lives in a house near the Ocean Club. um, And he decided to look around his house because there are low fences. He thought maybe the child could have gotten over or under... Mm -hmm. Whatever, he's being a good guy, just, like, having a look around. Yeah. Um, and he's talking to his neighbor um, about, like, what's going on and, like, how terrible it is. Um, and then the his neighbor explains to them that the McCanns are having trouble um, talking with the police because they don't speak Portuguese. Um, and he speaks English and Portuguese, so he asks to um, act as a translator. Yeah. Um, so again, then we, in the documentary, we get one of the reporters, um, who said that the crime scene wasn't very secure. Um, (laughs) it was pretty easy to, like, walk up and, like, look in. Um, and he said that, uh, again, in the documentary that he didn't want to, like, push his way through because obviously he knows not to, but that he didn't think it would be hard, which is, like, kind of concerning. Like, he said that there was just, like, a little note, like, on the steps, like, don't go past this point or whatever. Like okay like anyone can just walk by i know like we all ignore signs Um, especially if it's just a little note yeah like if my god if it's like a sticky note how am i gonna see it (laughs) portugal police what you need you need help Uh, you need help like was this police force invented like yesterday or like did you get training so so we're not coming for the parents but we're coming for portugal yeah essentially all of portugal like did you get any training before you became a police officer portugal i love your country i had a great time visiting uh have never been there but looks beautiful (laughs) um so we learn at this point that things between the mccann's and the police they're kind of rocky not not very good um, so the McCanns go to give their statements, um, but they say that there's not really a sense of urgency when they're getting their statements, and oh. they're just kind of, like, making chit-chat with them. So, like, what? Yeah, so then we meet this guy named Ernie Allen, who is the president and CEO of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Oh, wow. Didn't al- even know that was a thing. And also works for the International Center for missing and exploited children. So this guy is like doing great work. Incredible. <laughs> um, so he talks about why some cases, like some missing kids cases, are more 
um, public and get more awareness than others because there's lots of these cases, um, not even just child necessarily, but like missing people. Yeah. And some just get more news coverage than others. Um, and he says that it's the circumstance that kind of um, determines yeah. whether it gets um, news coverage. Like the circumstances of this one, like they're on vacation, they're just having dinner, right down. She, like that, that could be anyone, yeah. you know? So it's um, more of a relatable story to the public than yeah. some. But one thing that's really crazy is um, he didn't even mention race. And I don't know, like, that's the first thing my mind goes to. Like, she was a little blonde, white. blue eyed white girl. girl. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think this case would have gotten the same publicity if it was a black child or another child of color. Especially, I just don't. Yeah, especially, well, it's not that long ago, but it's still in 2009. Yeah. Like, there is more issues of it around that. But even today, I mean, even today, there's like kind of like just the fact that like the head of this these two like major organizations yeah. didn't say that. Put like that I don't know. And again, this is like from the documentary, so that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't think it or wasn't editing. But I don't know. I just definitely think that, like that was kind of glaring. To just me. seems like something you might point out. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, it's been 24 hours since Madeline's disappearance, um, and the parents make a press conference. Yeah. So, journalists are everywhere getting, covering this case, and they all kind of want their own story, their own angle. Yeah. So, we cut to three days missing. Um, The cops uh, say their entire way of uh, doing things is, like, using secrecy to protect the investigation. So, like, like, not... Secrecy of what? like secrecy of the investigation so they don't like give anything to the media or anything like that and i think that's a little crazy um and again like i thought this but um the podcast i listened to also pointed this out so i just want to like make note where mention is due they and i think this is a little problematic because if you don't give them something to like report on or work with they're gonna start making up their own story that's what i was just gonna say that's where like fake news comes from because they want to put something out because the public is demanding something and they're like well we don't have real facts so here's what we think yeah yeah so um and we also learn in portugal that there is no cctv um except for at gas stations like you can't get it in your own home yeah so this is the start of like sightings of madeline so um, at one gas station, there was uh, a sighting of this little girl and a woman that looked like Madeline um, in the gas station. Um, and that's kind of all that's talked about it. But this was like very shortly um, after this whole um, disappearance happened. Yeah. So I don't know, like maybe if they had acted a little faster, they would have been able to check that out. But um, anyway, so. Um, there's a ton of other sightings, so suspicious sightings at the docks. Significant because um, one of the main theories is that she was being, sadly, uh, like smuggled, trafficked, yes. right? Um, and it's kind of hard. Like witness sightings are really hard to vet because you know you you see people who like think they saw something or kind of just want to insert themselves into something like you get they get so you get so many like not but not even that they just want to insert themselves it's that like i could look like any other blonde haired uh like tan white girl from a distance like you have no idea unless you're like up close and actually can look at like their face yeah 
So now the journalists report on the cops and their not so great work since there is no real um, information uh, being given. So shown that they are not really stopping people at borders like they have to. And there's this really funny clip. Not funny. Funny is not the right word. Ironic. Um, ironic, terrible <laughs> clip um, in the documentary of these cops sitting in their car because it's like a drizzle out. Like it's drizzling and they're sitting in their cars. All these cars are going by and there's this white van with tinted windows. That just like goes by. Um, so, like, you don't want to like stop that white van with blacked out windows. You don't maybe like, want to look because a child from a different country has gone missing. Yeah, nah, they don't want to get their hair wet, and you know, <laughs> they don't want to get wet. They don't want to mess up their hair. All of that. So, yeah, they weren't really being as vigilant. Um, as they probably should uh, they probably should be and you know if you listen or watch or know about crime at all like the those initial like 24 or 48 hours are so yeah critical the stats for finding people after 24 hours goes significantly yeah. like it drops significantly yeah especially when we learn later like how quickly a child can be smuggled from portugal to other places especially in if they're three years old you can put that in any type of bag they're tiny yeah so yeah so after this they decide to make a sketch made from james description uh james not yes, james. james james description um and it's literally an oval with like bangs and hair and blonde like hair. literally what's weird to me is that why would you get a description from her and not like her parents like her parents probably have a photo no but a description of the the kidnapping. oh i was so confused I yeah was like, what no so a description of like because remember remember she was the one oh yeah who, the man who walked by and yeah like, she like saw this man walking by she didn't think it was relevant at first just no, a few no, hours not like, for the first three hours yeah. she didn't think it was relevant yeah. Mm. so guys if we could like show you this drawing over a podcast we would literally picture like a small child's drawing of like like an oval it's like the the twitter egg with hair (laughs) um that would be the least descriptive picture jane thank you yeah so granted like jane probably didn't see the person up close but like a little but bit they publish this like that's it's just so embarrassing funny. for their it like, really is i don't even know that's just yeah so now the parents are trying to get it out that uh, in the media that there was a birthmark on her eye um and the police chief kind of speaks out against this says this was a bad idea because now the killer knows um that it's madeline that they're looking for and i that think there you is would know if you took the that child they, that they're probably talking about well you. i guess they i guess it, it's it's like now that you know that there's a very identifiable feature and i kind uh, of get what they're saying like that could put the child in danger like maybe i think it's too risky like because there's this very identifiable thing um so i don't know like i i see both sides with that kind of yeah um Anyway, so then we learn that there are a lot of sex offenders in this area, which is, like... Awesome. Awesome. Mm, Love love that. that. (laughs) And, and I mean, I guess that there are sex offenders, like, kind of everywhere. Like, sex offenders take vacations. But it seems to be a a high amount. Yeah, like, if you look on the documentary, yeah, it seems to be uh, a good amount. 
So now the police and the McCanns are trying to get people to give them their pictures on vacation so they can look at people in the background. You know, maybe there's someone like always hanging around the kids, like, you know, just to like look for anyone um, yeah. suspicious. Uh, which I think is good. Like, yeah. it, this person probably didn't just, like, appear out of nowhere. Like, he, he'd probably been hanging around watching. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Um, so now, back to Robert Murat, who we talked about earlier, who was acting as a translator between the mechanics and the police. So the journalists think that there is something suspicious about him. Um, they thought it was weird that he knew... Specifically, they thought it was weird that he knew um, the color of her pajamas. Um, and he said that, um, he asked the McCann group, like, his, you know, he was being approached by journalists and, like, asked that question. Yeah. Getting asked it, so he asked the McCanns and they told him. So, I don't know, again, like, could be strange, could not be, you know, that, that, that's, like, kind of the theme throughout, like, all this whole next bit. It's, like, this could be significant could not yeah um so in the documentary to kind of help us make sense of like why people suspected robert murat um we learn about ian huntley who they kind of go into detail about this in the documentary but basically he's this guy who inserted himself into the investigation of these two missing girls um in the uk uh he kind of knew them was the last to see them um and then it's found out that he killed them um so they try they kind of make the link between uh this guy ian huntley um and robert murat because you know he uh inserted himself in investigation uh he's going through a divorce has a child um the same age as madeline so all of these they used to point against him but i think these could also be in his favor like why would he want to hurt a child when he has a child the same age as madeline like he would know what that would do so, anyway, it's hard to say. I mean, I think he did it because, um, I mean, he was helping translating. Like, I don't, I, I think he had a reason to kind of put himself there. Like, he was just trying to help translate. But I see how it can be taken both ways. I mean, again, if you watch True Crime, you see this a lot where, like, someone who inserts themselves into the investigation yeah, usually ends up being, like, a suspect or the person of, like, who did it. So, mm-hmm. again, hard to say. But one day, Robert is driving. Uh, He notices that a car is following him. So he pulls over, and the car drives past him. Uh, He said he... In the documentary, he says um, he either had a choice to leave or to, like, chase the car down. Uh, And he decides to chase the car. Which is probably not a good idea. It's so weird. And a little weird. Like, to be honest, if someone was following me, I'd be a little bit more panicked. So if they drove past me, I'd be like, great, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he gets home, he rings the inspector, um, and he said that, he, he told them that he was being followed, um, and he thought it was them trying to, like, follow him. He's like, you know what, like, I'm right here, like, if you have any questions, like, just, just, um, like, talk to me. Yeah. And they were like, no, 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 like, it wasn't us, it was just journalists. Um, so the next morning, he wakes up, uh, around seven, he said, uh, to a call from the police that they need help with some translating. So he runs out of the front door and the police are waiting there with a warrant and they raid his house. Mm. Um, which is kind of crazy. Um, so it turns out that they had pretty hardcore surveillance on him. Like they had recordings, they had like these sensor things to try to see how many people were in the house. 
Um, so they bring him into the PJ office, which again is the um, like major police force there. Yeah. Um, and they basically, according to Robert Murat, bully him into trying to confess. Um, and he said that the more that he said he didn't do it, um, the more that they would say he was lying and get angry. And it all sounds that like stuff. they're trying to convince him that he did. Yeah. So, after this long uh, interrogation, he's declared Arguido, which basically in Portugal means that he's charged, but it's a level up from being a suspect. Um, So, that's a pretty big deal in Portugal, which I honestly think that this is such a weird thing to do because, you know, you're not um, under really, like, police surveillance. You're not um, forced to stay within the country now you like basically have a target on your back but also if you did do it and you're declared arguido you can arguido you can flee because they don't have you in custody like it's just i it's weird it's weird it's weird um so yeah again portugal to be honest it's kind of strange because they're essentially if he is the one like letting him go yeah exactly my point strange to me so, now we learn about this guy, Sergei Malinka, uh, who, side note, is so attractive. Like, so <laughs> cute. Um, so he From was, the documentary, yeah. if you will. That's how so she's basing this. He was Robert Murat's website guy. Um, <laughs> website? And they try to link him to Robert. Um, they try to say that they were working together. And Sergei was only 22 at this time. So, and that's kind of crazy to be like linked to something and dragged into something and you're like i was just this guy this dude's website guy yeah and you're like 22 that's so crazy so uh what they do is so sergey tells this story in the documentary about how he walked out of his house um and as he is walking these two people pull like a burlap sack over his head um and pull him into a car so oh, no. he doesn't know who it is. They're just driving around. Um, and it turns out that it was the police driving around with him, waiting to get a warrant of arrest to bring him in. And this what? is so crazy because what they did was totally illegal before they got the warrant. Like, But also, you're the police. Like, why are you... Are you doing that? Exactly. Yeah, succumbing to methods of, like, actual kidnap. Like, I don't... Yeah. Literally crazy. So, they find 26 computers from his house, um, and only one is his, because, again, like, he does tech support, so he has other people's computers. computers yeah. Um, so, the police, um, they hammer uh, Sergey on a call between him and Robert um, around midnight, the night Madeline goes missing. Um, and neither of them kind of really remember this call, and they kind of say that it was, like, a butt dial, or whatever, which is, like, totally possible. Like, I don't know. It's kind of inconspicuous. They don't really go into yes. it anymore in the documentary, other than the police were kind of trying to make something out of this call. Um, and then the police also say that they found something on the CD-ROMs that, the, that they took. So the people kind of accuse him of, you know, having all these terrible um, stuff on the... Uh, like these hard drives Um, and in the documentary the documentarian tries to kind of like ask him about it and Sergei says like he can't really say anything that will prove that 
it wasn't his because he doesn't know whose computer it was on. Yeah. Again, remember, only one of those computers that were it's taken his. was his. So, like, sure, there might have been information, but we don't know, like, we don't really know what bad information was. Like, we're assuming it's, like, porn or, you yeah. know, maybe well, if worse it was stuff of relevant of to the kind. case, then they would have talked about yeah. it. Yeah. So. But again, there's this whole thing of secrecy around the case, right? So, so we have no idea. We don't really know. We just know it was something bad. But again, we don't know what computer. Yeah. So the Portuguese police at this point, they're not accepting help. And they're just not giving the journalists any other info. So the McCanns at this point um, hire a PR person to help keep um, Madeline's name out like in the media. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, is it's hard to put a narrative just, like, out there, like, just get her name out there, but then not control the story because people make their own story. Yeah. So that's kind of similar to what we were saying about, like, the whole thing about secrecy in the police. It's like, you can't just keep hammering, like, Madeline McCann's name, but not, you know, take control of, like, the story. So the McCann's do this whole big press tour that... You know, a lot of people um, point on as them being kind of, like, sus, like, going on a whole press tour. Um, And then they see the Pope. And this is when people start talking more about the McCanns as um, suspects. And a lot of people are upset because there are many um, missing uh, Portuguese children who are not getting as much as attention as Madeline McCann who is a a foreigner to the country um an example is Roy Pedro who uh was a boy who went missing um in and around the same area that Madeline did um and we find out that there was this uh bust of a pedophile network uh called the Wonderland Club oh and this led to the seizure of 750,000 images, oh which is just, just sick. Like, it's honestly sick. It's just, yeah. like, some of the worst things you can um, think about. Um, and they put it in a book um, so parents of missing children can come uh, and try to find it. And you can Ooh. only, they can only get this book in Geneva. Like, you're not allowed to, like, take it anywhere, which I think is smart. Like, obviously, it has, like, pretty sensitive material on there um sorry the neighbors are yelling (laughs) (laughs) um and roy we roy pedro's mom uh goes and actually identifies him as one of the kids in the photos which is just heartbreaking because you know he she knows that he was somehow involved in this wonderland club like pedophile network but they have no further information about, like, where he is now. Or what happened. Or what happened. Like, no other information. So, everything is going crazy. Sightings of Madeline everywhere. Um, and there is especially uh, one woman who saw Madeline in Morocco. Um, and this is kind of important because I think we get a few um, sightings of Her. Madeline in yeah. Morocco. So now we meet Jim Gamble, um, who is the head of SEOP. Uh, and he says that Jerry wants to come and see his operation, but uh, before he does, he wants um, reassurance that Jerry isn't a suspect on the case. So 
Jerry and Jim meet and Jim in the documentary kind of just says that like he <laughs> didn't really like Jerry uh, said he was kind of like cold and and all of that so um, yeah then we move on in the documentary to this one journalist um, Felicia Caprida who was big in Portugal for undercovering uncovering a pedophile ring um, so she starts investigating the McCann, not the McCann case, uh, three weeks after it happens. Um, and she also thinks it's weird that they never really looked at the parents. Um, and so in true investigation, investigative style on a Sunday <laughs> when everyone is at the church, um, she goes to sit at the table that the McCann group did, um, at the restaurant, and she kind of debunks that you could see the apartment from where they were sitting, which we already kind of talked about, like, maybe you could see, like, the corner or the roof or whatever, but you definitely couldn't see enough in to, uh, see if someone was taking your yeah. child. Um, it's just surprising to me that no one would have thought to do that before. Like, it seems like a really big starting point mm -hmm. to be like, can you see the... But I guess not. Yeah, and just, like, as a rule of thumb, like, the people closest to the kids are almost always investigated. Like, mm -hmm. again, to reiterate, like, I don't think that the parents did it, but just the fact that they, like, weren't looked into more. So, she also, this uh, Felicia Caprita, uh, the journalist, she also says that it was chaotic at the restaurant. None of the people in the group kind of had their stories um, the same, and there were some other inconsistencies about the stories. So, again, this is, like, a lot of stuff in the case that can be taken, like, 500 ways. Not 500, but, like, one of two ways. Like, it's either, like a sign of guilt that they don't have their stories or it's just you know it was so you know, traumatic nights ago like it was traumatic like yeah you know it, it, it's just and maybe that's to point that they're innocent because wouldn't they all have their stories like nailed down if they were actually involved like it, maybe yeah. yeah so now we're at 57 days missing which oh, i can only imagine um so marat gets pulled into questioning um, in front of a few people from the McCann group, uh, and again, kind of gets grilled, um, bullied by the police, these people from the McCann group, and only these people from the McCann group says that they saw him at the resort that night, which, one, why are they allowed to sit in on an interrogation? I don't understand. <laughs> and two... Robert Murat in the documentary points out that he um, he knew people at the resort and they no one he knew at the resort says they saw him and they yeah. didn't know this guy until after. So I don't know. This whole thing was just like a little weird, strange to me. Yeah. So the more and another thing that's strange is the more time that went on, Jane added details to her story, which again is weird so um Jane, you're seeming a little suspicious yeah right jane what are you doing, what are you doing? <laughs> um so and then it's revealed that the mccann group kind of had this pack of of silence to not really talk about it which again could be suspicious but also it could be good because it's kind of a way of controlling 
the narrative you know like if they know they all have slightly different accounts of what happens like it's better just to not say anything like yeah a lot of these things can be used either way which is like what makes a lot of this case so crazy yeah um that there is no clear-cut answer spoiler alert this doesn't get solved by the end so like it's a lot of just like theories and um suspicious stuff that could not be suspicious so <laughs> yeah like, we don't know you know another thing they point to is the crime scene was trampled on which we kind of touched on earlier like was weird and it could be but also like if you had a missing child would your first instinct to be like no like don't come in here this is a crime scene like i don't no, think so i think I you'd be like so, come yeah. in like have a look like see if you can find her like, like if anywhere. i was the parent i'd be like tearing through the yeah whole exactly so um according so this is again when they're starting to get suspicious of the parents and i don't think that the parents had anything to do with it but the documentary goes through this so we're going to yeah so according to kate she looks around the room and um is worried that the window was open and the shutters on the outside were open um and then jerry closes it and says that they can open it from the outside but later when the police come they can't open it from the outside um, and then when the police get there, nothing is described as the parents said it was. Um, and the only print they find on the window is a uh, half palm print of Kate's from the inside of the window. <laughs> so, again, these are all like either stuff that is suspicious or not, depending on how you look at it. Um, but they do say a lot of definitive statements that can be disproven and that kind of is a fact whether it's um because you know it's just memory can be crazy like who knows or whether they are being a little bit shady like it's yeah. hard to say so the police um claim that it looks staged so at this point they bring in cadaver dogs and jerry was not too happy about it so these two dogs are eddie a cadaver dog and keila um a blood dog so they're highly trained on call for the fbi um and when they're brought into the apartment um eddie goes first um and eddie is the cadaver dog uh and he is immediately tense when he gets into the to the apartment um and the signal that he gives is to bark yeah. so um whenever he comes across a cadaver scent he'll bark um and he barks right next to madeline's bed uh kind of like between her bed and closet and right by the couch um and then keila comes in and hits on the same places so this is very you know dramatic and big information in the documentary but i kind of had this thought and maybe it's a bad thought but <laughs> what if something had happened in that apartment like years ago that had nothing to do with madeline yeah that they're hitting on again i don't know if maybe they used her scent to um, like for these dogs like, i they mean didn't, i assume so like they I didn't don't. really talk about that specifically yeah but i kind of had the thought like yes that could be kind of incriminating but also like if it saying maybe it wasn't Madeline for Madeline's percent scent specifically that they were training for just any cadaver blood scent yeah like maybe it's not 
We don't know. We don't know. And that's the theme of this. We don't know. Where's Malcolm? We don't know. So now at 90 days missing, the dog, the dogs are brought in to sniff a bunch of cars. So the Marat's car, um, friends' cars from the McCann group, um, and the McCann's family rental car that was rented after their initial vacation. So when they were still staying on. Yeah. So the dogs um, hit on the McCann car. Both dogs hit on the driver's side door and um, the trunk of the car. Which, again, for the thousandth time, could be suspicious that they hit on the car. Because, like, what are the chances that the dogs would hit on blood from the apartment and the car in two different places like yeah but also they rented this car like i think it was like three weeks after this madeline initially went missing like what's the theory that they just kept her um and there is a theory but like that they kept her body for weeks and then transported in the car like i don't know we don't know so when the mccann's are asked about it they say um, that is all speculation, which, sorry girls, but it's a little more than speculation. speculation like, yeah. you have dogs hitting on the scent. Um, but then, uh, this is when the McCanns start to realize that the police really, like, do not trust them. So, it is thought that the police are leaking things to the press that point suspicion to the McCanns, which is a really, like, shitty thing to do. Um, yeah. And it is... Yeah, but again, it's only thought that. Like, you have no idea what they Yeah. Are. I mean, I think we can all agree that the police have been kind of, like, less than exemplary throughout <laughs> yeah. this whole thing. So, next we get into what I'm going to call, I guess, like, the accidental overdose theory. So, it was reported um, that the McCann, since they were doctors, um, they sedated their children uh, to, like, help them go to sleep. So, one of the reasons that they think this is the twins were asleep the whole time people were going through the house. Um, which, I mean, I have to agree, like, wouldn't the kids, like, wake, wake up? up, like, with all this commotion? Yeah. Um, and and if re- the mom left screaming the night of the incident, yeah. like, you would... Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's been reported that, like, Kate was checking on the kids, and not just, like, checking on them to make sure that they were okay, but checking on them, like, for their breathing yeah uh, which i don't know is a little strange and even kate's father goes on record saying that jerry and kate used cal 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 sorry about my pronunciation but um it's basically like a over-the-counter like sleeping aid like cold medicine why kind did of. you give that to your small infants though yeah so again i mean it's not exactly like shooting them up but like if it's true it's a little bit not great. <laughs> I know. Um, so the forensic police uh, then start to take things. Uh, and the initial results are, quote, not good. <laughs> um, so the summary the police received was translated. Um, and so with through translation, like, a lot of things, like the warnings to wait for final results and all of that were kind of lost in translation, I guess you could say. Um, and it's published that there were 80 to 90 matches of madeline in the car which again is a little weird um if it's true because madeline was missing by the time they rented this car yeah so now kate is brought in to be interviewed by police um 
uh, and there are a lot of media outside, like a ton, if you look at the footage from the documentary, it's insane. And again, this kind of leads to the theory of, of the police like leaking information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they thought that uh, the McCann, like Kate and Jerry, accidentally killed her and then hid her body <laughs> and transported it many weeks later in the rental car. Which, I don't know, I mean, I guess you have to explore all, all options, but it just, I just don't see it, personally. Um, so, the police question her for 11 hours, um, and then she is let go for a few hours, um, and she is brought back into the uh, station, uh, and she is declared our Greedo, which, again, we talked about is, like, one... Uh, like you're not um, like arrested but you're You're a little bit more than like a suspect like you're not charged but you're Mm -hmm. more than like a casual suspect or whatever it's yeah it's hard to even describe what this is so then Jerry is questioned and he's named our Guido as well and both of them um, again like Robert Mira like um, the other people who were questioned like Sergei Malinka they all say that, like, the police were very much bullying and yeah. borderline harassing throughout this whole interrogation. Um, so the McCann's leave, like, they just leave to go back to the, um, UK. the UK because they're worried that as our Guido, if they stay and are arrested, that they can't continue their search for Madeline from yeah. jail. Um, but again, like we talked about earlier, like, I think it's so weird that they can just name someone as a, as a formal suspect um, and then leave. Like, like leave the so whole country. Weird. Yeah. Like, not leave the station. Like, leave the whole country. Yeah, the whole country. Like, what? it's so weird. Um, so now we're at 129 days missing. Um, we're back in L- Leicester. Yeah. And Brian Kennedy, who is a billionaire um, in the UK who uh, learns about their story, offers to um help them so a guy uh named martin smith um saw jerry and one of the twins walking um and he says that he is 60 to 80 percent sure it was him which is like not like not that good of a percentage like i just it's just crazy like Like all these sightings all these um you know, things that could be leads, could not. But I think it just goes to show, like, how crazy this whole thing is. Like, there's kind of endless possibilities as to what would happen. Like, all... At the end of the day, the only true fact we have is that she went missing. Yeah. Like, it's literally... Quite honestly, there's no hard evidence of it even happening, other than the fact that she is gone. Like, other than the fact that she is gone, like, is she alive? Is she dead? Like, we don't know 100% either way. Like, I think mean, that's just what's so crazy There's about literally this no case. evidence for any suspects. Except yeah. for, she is just physically not there anymore. Yeah. yeah, and that's what kind of makes this hard to, like, do, um, like, other podcasts. It's, like, there's not, there's not really, like, a whole, like, timeline of, like, this happened then, this happened. Like, she disappeared, and then we just have all these and theories, kind of. And then there's no fingerprints no literally no evidence that someone was even there except for jane except yeah, jane except for that <laughs> no. gal jane, jane who has a new story every day yeah yeah um so now the media needs new news about the case um 
and they start fabricating like a ton of stories um one of the like some being like jerry's not the father what yeah, like it's just so crazy like again a lot of this is a lot of the documentary just talks about like how the media just kind of ran with whatever yeah. they thought um and it is said that there was a lot of criticism that they were cold um but then it turns out that they were like being advised to like not show too much emotion because it could you know um incite the the person who took madeline like just trying to be like as calm and rational as possible so it's just crazy um so another one of the more credible sightings we get is of a spanish couple of madeline on the back of this woman in the atlas mountains which is in morocco um which is the second sighting of yeah in morocco and brian kennedy who we talked about and his son uh they just go to investigate like you know they just which is so weird because they're not any type of like police or anything they're just people of money they're just going to do their own investigation yeah so they go and long story short it's not her um so another dead end um and it's at this point that the mccann's decide to hire a private investigation company um three uh from barcelona so julian the pi who uh they hire from metado three um has a meeting with the mccann's and believe um that they are innocent and a lot of people say this like after meeting with the mccann's like their thoughts or suspicions that they could have had anything to do with them to do with it is just like out the window so um he looks at all the possibilities um and he discusses the idea of an organized crime group being involved about this which honestly it's just horrible but in in my opinion after seeing like this whole documentary listening to the podcast series about it by true crime obsessed who i love by the way shouting them out if you need another true crime (laughs) podcast to listen to give them a listen um like i think that's probably the more credible thought um so he goes to portugal to do their own investigation um and they set up a tip line um, that bring forth uh, many new tips um, about Madeline. It brings another credible sighting from CCTV. That long story short, again, is Doesn't not her. It, yeah. Um, and then they decide to bring Jane to another artist to give a more detailed drawing of the man she yeah. saw carrying a child the night Madeline went missing. Um, and again, good old Jane remembers everything in, like, crazy detail, like the color of the pajamas, all of this stuff, but doesn't see the face. Can't remember the face. Um, and so Julian decides then to take a look more at Robert Murat. Uh, he said in the documentary that he thinks that there has to be some information against him to be declared, um, or Guido. So they meet with Murat, they try to talk um, and investigate him, uh, and they put trackers on the car, which he immediately finds. Um, They also uh, trail Sergei Malinka, who um, again was uh, the guy building Robert Murat's site, um, and other sex offenders and pedophiles. I think we're gonna have to stop and do a part two for this because there's literally only 20 seconds left. 
Okay. And well, there's a lot more we have to say. Yeah, so we'll be back in a second. We just for part record two. an hour at a time. So yeah. we'll be back. See ya. We'll see you in a second. <laughs> Alright, so we're back for after a little intermission. Uh, not for you, I guess, but for us. Because we got cut off. For we got being cut off and we need a little bit of AC. It's like 35 degrees out today. <laughs> Okay, so um, let's get back to it. So we were talking about um, Julian, the private investigator for yep. the uh, company Methodo 3 that the McCanns hired. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we left, he was meeting with uh, Robert Murat because he said that there should be some information if he's our Guido. Um, they met, um, talked casually. Uh, I don't think Robert was buying it. Like, I think he kind of knew what was going on because mm-hmm. they put trackers on his car. Um, and he finds it. <laughs> so then they also trail Sergei, um, and they also trail other, um, sex offenders, uh, and pedophiles. Um, and one thing in the documentary that I found really crazy is that, um, Sergei talks in the documentary about where, uh, when the P.I.'s Um, They literally blew up his car uh, and spray-painted the Portuguese word for speak on it, which is so crazy. I think this is kind of the problem with, like, private investigation companies is that they don't have the same um, regulations and laws that law enforcement does. Like, they can kind of just do whatever they want and, you know, sometimes have not-so-great tactics, as we learn uh, by watching the documentary. So, kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but then we learn about this, um, other case, uh, similar to Madeline, of a missing girl named Joanna. Um, her uncle, long story short, her uncle said that he, um, and Joanna's mom killed her. Um, but it turns out that they were kind of intimidated into confessing. Um, and there's photos in the documentary of Joanna's mom with just crazy bruising on her face and stuff that she, um, says and i believe her um said that she got it from you know being bullied by the police um and the investigation was led by gonzalo amaral who was um the lead in the mccann investigation who's the one who like really thought it was the parents kind of wasn't doing a great job uh, of the investigation so now we skip to can you believe it 262 days missing that's a long Um, time that's just that's almost a year like i just again like i know it sounded like we were coming for the parents at the beginning but like when i think of that i'm just like heartbroken like yeah you just it's so crazy um so now we meet gail cooper who is someone who lives in praia deluge she um told uh about a sighting of a man strange man who came to her door to collect money for an orphanage for these kids whose parents died um, in a car crash close by. Um, And she also saw him loitering around the beach, Uh, which is kind of strange. And And she said in the documentary that when she started asking like more information, like what the um orphanage was like why they couldn't stay with like grandparents or family or whatever like he didn't really have answers to these questions which i think is a little strange Mm -hmm. um and so they kind of think that this could be um like something to look into so they send uh this woman gail 
to the sketch art, the second sketch artist that um, did the drawing that Jane uh, gave. Uh, and they asked her to make a sketch of the man that Gail saw. Um, and when uh, Jane sees this image, she said that she's 80% sure that it's the man. 80% is not high enough. It's not high enough. And I'm just like, ma'am, please. You couldn't even describe his face. Like It was how- an oval. Yeah, <laughs> it was an oval. Like, if you can't describe his face, how can you be so sure? 962 days later. 262. Sorry. But oh might as well be I 962. <laughs> like, read that wrong. Yeah. Uh, might as well be 962. Um, <laughs> so then we hear about how a week before the McCann's come to Portugal, um, another woman has uh, pretty much the same story as Gail Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is kind of creepy because the man who is in the doorway um, is not really like making eye contact or looking at her while talking, but instead she's like staring like just around and past her to her daughter. Weird. Which is That's just weird. Creepy. So the next day, uh, this mom, uh, she comes down the stairs from folding laundry, and the man is in the room downstairs with his child. Um, and when the mom comes down, he just kind of like runs away. And that is just honestly so terrifying. Like, that's why does so no one scary. lock their doors in Portugal? I don't know. Hello, start locking your doors in know. Portugal. Like, like I don't it's understand. It's so crazy. Um, and another point is that this was a three-year-old girl, just like, like Madeline. Madeline. Like, yeah. oh my god. Um, lock your doors, people. That's yep, that's the lock statement. Lock your doors, uh, even if you think it's safe. Lock the door. Completely safe. Because it's like that one time. You don't like. You know what I mean? Like. Yes, things are safe ninety nine percent of the time. But it's that one percent that you that is which is Ooh, the reason it's why giving you me take chills. The I don't like it's it. It's literally giving me chills. Um, so a lot of other stories, um, like this, uh, come out from like before and around the, the time the McCanns uh were there, um, and you know it's like is it was this a scam? Like just a you know it could have just been something as simple as like a money, like people wanting to get money or whatever. But especially with that whole account of the man, like, being in the house with a child mm-hmm. and then running away, like, that's weird. could it be more, something more sinister? And I personally think that that's what it's pointing more towards. Probably. Again, we don't really know, so we're not counting out anything, but, um, anyway, so the guy who runs Methodo 3, so Julian, the PI's boss, yeah. um, he comes out on TV and he says that, um, they know exactly who the kidnapper is, um, and they're gonna get them soon. Uh, but basically, this is just like false. Like it's just a lie, um, and uh, that's just so crazy that you would like, I guess lie it's like, and, like their so way much, of trying yeah. to get them to confess before they catch them. But I don't like, know. I think it was just maybe because they just wanted to uphold the image. Like they wanted to be the ones to solve the disappearance of this. They're just girl. desperate at this yeah, point. Like I, I, that's weird that they would do that. Yeah. Um, and, like, Julian thinks so, too. He says so in the documentary. Um, so then we see Julian, and he's searching the dark web for Madeline McCann, which is honestly must be, like, horrible. Like, as someone who is just not that person, as I'm assuming Julian is not, like, I just must take, like, crazy psychological... Tolls. Toll. Like, to be going through the dark web searching for this child. Um, and then we learn that Portugal is used um, to pass children 
uh, from Portugal to other countries and that you can get, um, it takes three hours to get uh, a child from Portugal to anywhere in, um, like, Europe, which is just, that's so scary. I guess it seems like, like, I have no idea, but I guess it seems like the rules and the laws and security especially in portugal is so lax like it practically doesn't exist it's just so crazy like when i went like i honestly felt like totally safe like and a lot of people who go like say it's safe like it's really not scary and like maybe oh sorry sorry stella's unimpressed my dog just going off (laughs) what nothing Um, we don't know okay anyway so yeah like like that's honestly just so terrifying that like this country is just used to pass children through yeah i don't know it's just crazy so um and then there's this lead that um madeline might have been taken by a a pedophile ring in belgium like there was an order quote quote order whatever that means again i'm not familiar with the exact way of getting a child and i'm glad (laughs) for that um but basically there was like a order or whatever is described by the documentary of a girl uh Madeline's age, blonde hair, blue eyes, the night, like, the day before. Just so crazy. Um, so, yeah, pedophile ring in Belgium. And basically at this point, like, Method 03, um, I guess with the mix of there not really being a whole lot of new information and the head guy kind of coming out saying that they're so close to finding that they know exactly who has Madeline, they just need to get him. Um, and it not being true, uh, they um, uh, cut ties uh, with Method 03, um, and they contract out to an American private investigation company called Oakley. So Oakley goes to Praia de Luz. They do some pretty shady stuff. Like, they bring a child for bait, um, which is just not it. Like, that's just so wrong. So um, and they use a fake priest in a confessional and hope that someone will come in and like confess to the murder um and then they track um a man in a van with all kinds of surveillance who looks a little fishy but like a lot of stuff kind of just ends up going nowhere um so now in the documentary we cut to one year missing which is just awful like that's just so heartbreaking like a year missing and not only do you not see your child like you just there's just not a whole lot of information like it's just there's so just, crazy at this point it seems like i i personally would have like no hope yeah and i mean i guess the parents still say they do at this point which is just i commend them for that yeah so at this point, a year later, Kate and Jerry and Robert Murat are all cleared of the Arguido status. And because of this, Kate and Jerry now have access to the police files, which I think is great because now they can kind of get an idea of what the police have done, what they know, where they can go from. Um, and it's just kind of crazy. So um, Gonzalo Amaral, who was like the lead detective on both this case and the Joanna case that we talked about, um, he wrote a book about the case, um, and how he wholeheartedly suspected the parents, and also a documentary, which is just crazy, like, the fact that you can, like, publish and make a documentary about this stuff that, like, just doesn't have any 
actual backing like it's not truth on yeah. an ongoing case well i guess it's not ongoing at this point but like a case that hasn't been solved it's just so crazy that yeah. that's like allowed or whatever um so then they're still working with oakley at this point and the mccann's get reports that oakley are sending invoices for things that they are not doing so again um there's this billionaire uh millionaire who is um kind of funding and uh backing this whole investigation and so that's who they get this information from um and one example of this is that oakley says that they have access to these satellite images from the fbi of the neighborhood that Madeline went missing in in praia deluge which if this is true is like kind of amazing that you can have like these high def like satellite images and actually could have seen uh, what happens um so they build them for this it takes weeks um and it turns out that these were literally google earth images i could go onto the internet and get a google (laughs) yeah yeah that's not going to tell me anything unless it was taken at the moment that it's happening which in reality it wasn't yeah so that's kind of crazy so it turns out that oakley was a fraud like just a huge fraud it was headed by this irishman who had like a fake marriage no background like all of this stuff it's crazy so then we learn that on the afternoon of the kidnapping uh the woman staying in the apartment upstairs uh saw a man leaving through the gate leading to the mccann apartment um says that he was stricken by like how stealthily and carefully and almost nervously the man moved um which again could it have been someone from the mccann group other than just the mccann's is it something more suspicious like that's kind of a lot of what this case is is like is this something is it not it's based on i don't know yeah like um so now we learn that marat is suing for libel which um for being like dragged by the press which i think is totally reasonable in this case yeah um under four um points so the first is um the claim of being a pedophile which cannot be proven two being involved in the disappearance cannot be Be proven proven. three lying to police cannot be proven and four being like ian huntley who we talked about earlier um the guy involved in the case of these missing girls in the uk who a lot of people linked said robert murat was acting like again no proof um so yeah now in the documentary we jump to four years missing missing, which that's like that's hard like honestly that's a long time like she would have been seven i know like that's just oh my god okay so at this point the case is basically closed um the mccann's write an open letter to the prime minister um david johnson at this point um and the prime minister decides that there should be a review by scotland yard which is the uk police um and in response to this the portuguese police opened the case which is kind of like okay like scott like uk opens the case okay i see you like now we're gonna open the case just because you did it's weird it's weird so we actually get the jane tanner sighting resolved um and this is kind of dragged out a bit in the documentary but basically jane's doing something good what well yeah so basically we learned that 
um, it was a man carrying his child from the night crash, like, babysitting service mm. that the McCanns were so against using. Um, so, again, like, that's kind of an example of, like, anything in this case could kind of be fishy or, or it could not. be, like, like, have an innocent explanation. And uh, this is kind of an example of that being resolved. Um, but then this calls into question the whole timeline of the night. Um, so Jerry's um, 905 sighting, 925 Matt O'Feel's looks, but does not actually get eyes on the children. Said he heard a sound, like we said earlier, like a child shifting over. Um, but like this kind of calls into question like did he hear was that him like literally hearing the abductor because as we said like in reality a three-year-old might not make the bed make a noise like that but if like whoever was taking them obviously an adult or a full-grown man if there's not even moving but if they even kneel on the bed it'd probably make more noise than a three-year-old turning over like i don't know like i just gotta think like between the fact that he earlier said there was like more light and meaning like that like probably turned on a light like like coming in through the window like i like it didn't sound like he meant that there was so much as like a light was on but like as in like it wasn't pitch black because the window was open like moonlight and that sound like oh my god like if he had just opened the door like where would we be i don't know it's just crazy um so and then we hear a story about a 12 year old girl who saw a man with badly pockmarked skin. Um, There was another girl who said the same thing. Um, Another lady saw two men uh, with a different description in the little alley by the apartment. So again, like, tons of these sightings of things that could be suspicious could not be. So now, finally, we get to six years missing, which... Like, I can't, like, what is there to say? Like, that's just so sad that, like, after six years, we just have hardly any more information than we do that first week, like, first night. Uh, So, basically, we learned that Portugal had um, a lone intruder, sexual predator, entering homes owned and rented by British uh, tourists, which is just, like so crazy like if you could their- like like if you knew that this was a problem wouldn't you put like some sort of like alert by the british consulate out or i agree like, because they're targeting somehow? a specific type of person like yeah. it's not just anyone so the documentary kind of goes into like more detail about these um pretty graphic and, and horrible so we're just not gonna like recount it like yeah. each account but basically there was like it, it was happening quite a bit um and like why did they let no one know and then there was this other sighting of a man driving the night Madeline went missing and saw a car driving with a woman looking back in the back seat as if she was, like, looking at a child. Um, and this is kind of significant because um, this man knew the couple and knew that they were having trouble having a child. Ooh. So he was kind of like, oh, like, what are they looking in the back seat at, uh-huh. right? So, again, like, this could be something it, it could, could not. not. We don't know. Um... A guy, another one, a guy who owned a pizza parlor was driving to work at 6 o'clock in the morning um, when Madeline was missing. Uh, they crossed the street carrying a child, um, and they looked kind of like um, like deer in headlights, like disturbed when they were in the man's headlights, which, that's like kind of crazy. You just picture like these couple, this couple like running into the, the street child. with a child, like 
like I don't know. That's not normal at six a.m. Not normal. Like yeah. Um. Yeah, and so like we said earlier, the McCanns now had record of all the police files. Um, in the file, there was um, a copy of the reservation book from the Tapas restaurant. And there was a note in the reservation book um, that had uh, a note that the children of the McCann group uh, would be alone. And that's why the parents wanted to dine at the same time every night. Which, again, like, is, might serve as a red flag to, like, a sort like of... Like, anyone who anyone. read that book yeah. would know exactly that the children are alone right now. Yeah, so that whole idea of, like, that they would have to be, had been watched for days, like, maybe that's not even true. Watched, or even anyone who worked at the resort who saw that book. Yeah, that's, that's a thought that I never really thought of, too, like... Because if you're, whatever, you took down the reservation... And you, that you wrote that note, then anyone who saw that note would be like, oh, we have the same group coming again. Their kids are alone. Same time, yeah. Like, they would know exactly when they're being alone. It's just crazy. Um, and basically, like, that's the extent of the information. Like, that's where the documentary ends. And basically, like, the case remains ongoing. There, and it's 11 years later? 2007. I thought it was 2009 at the beginning. So. Pretty sure it said 2009. Um, I don't know, like, a lot... Yeah, April 28, 2009. So, as of a few months ago, it would have... Yeah. April 28th of 2009. It would have been 11 years. Sorry, it was 2007. That that was a typo in the notes. So, it was 2007. Oh. It's much um, longer ago, so, then. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, not that it doesn't matter, but... Um, still long. Yeah, so, like, a, a long, long a long time. 13 years so, ago. yeah, I mean, that... That's really all that we have in terms of sighting. She would have been, if she lived in Canada, learning to drive. 16 years old. That's, that's so A high school student. So now we're just going to kind of conclude about talking about our own, like, thoughts, thoughts yeah. opinions, or whatever on the case. Now that we've kind of laid everything out on the table. And again, like, this was kind of a hard one to do because there's no sort of real, like, anything streamline like anything that you can follow like the only like we said the only real concrete information that cannot be disputed is that she's missing she's gone that's literally it i think that both me and claire have the thought that we don't think the parents did it i definitely don't but obviously they were the ones that made some bad decisions like leaving the door unlocked and their whole friend group would only rotate every 20 minutes seeing the children yeah. but not even seeing the children because this man just thought there was no noise in the house yeah. whatever moved and on I, and i mean okay do do i think in terms of the whole like sedation thing do i think that they like tried to like heavily sedate their kids with like syringes and all this stuff no do like think, anyone can go and get melatonin and take a sleeping pill yeah do I think that they maybe gave them some, like, you know, medicine that had, like, um, sleeping, like, prop, like, you know, like, that cold medicine? Yeah. Whatever. Do I think that? Um, yes, I could buy that. I just, I don't buy that they are involved. I mean, could they have locked the door? Could they have used a babysitting service? Could they have yes. actually opened the door and looked at their kids every yes. 20 minutes? Yes. Yes. Um, but you know what, and I think, like I said, I think this is probably, like, they probably think the exact same thing, like, they probably look back on it, and, like, if 
regret only we had done yeah. something different like i'm sure that they don't have a moment of of like peace from this like yeah. i just think it's gonna like i i just i i really like my heart goes out to them truly um, but I don't think we can, I, think I don't think we can discount that it could have been different. Yeah, I don't think we can discount that steps. it could have been true. I just personally think that after keeping this up for 16 years, if they did do it, like, what is the gain? What, and, and what are they going be, to gain? And especially because, like, this whole idea of the whole group being involved, out of all those people, someone would have said something to someone by but this also, point. But like, also, what would any of the people who aren't her parents, even her parents, what would they have to gain by nothing. keeping... By yeah. doing this or keeping it a secret. Yeah. Literally nothing. And, like, the other two kids are fine. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just don't buy They it. had all this trouble getting pregnant, and once they do, they're going to get, like, do something to another kids. Yeah. So, I I definitely think it's much more possible that, um, I mean, I want to, I want to, I think there are two options. So, um, I think she could either have been um taken uh by someone who like really wanted a kid and she could be alive and well with them or um the more horrible and theory that no one really wants to think about but i think a lot of the evidence points to is that she could have been taken by child trafficking yeah Um, and quite honestly is probably not alive anymore i don't know i mean I, I just have to think like if she was alive there would have been someone somewhere who would have that's seen why her i find now. your theory of oh she's she could be alive and well with a different family really hard because obviously this was such a publicized case that if if you knew that of this family that had yeah. this girl that looked like this description like you yeah. might be a little suspicious that this girl looks... These people just randomly got a three-year-old yeah. child and just looks like the description of the yeah. most... One of the most famous cases. Yeah. Like, but I, I just, also don't think we can, like, a thousand percent, a hundred percent discount that. Just be of course not. But, like, I just think, like... It's, it's so it's, hard. It's, I feel like that is something that people might want to cling on to as, like... She's in okay. hope that, yeah. that she's okay as opposed to the more horrific and like probably true that she's just not well and not maybe not even alive but then like the documentary makes the point and and spends quite a few bit of time on talking about all these cases where the kids had been found like 5 10 20 30 years like years later and they had just been taken and brought up in a new world and and so like I don't know, like, it, it, it's possible. Do, do I think it was something a little more sinister than that? Um, maybe. I, I, maybe. There's there's so many unknowns about this case, and I think that's what makes it particularly There's just horrible. literally no evidence, so no one can create a concrete theory. Yeah. So. Just, yeah, it's a hard one. It's, it's really horrific and sad, um, but... It, it yeah it's it's a hard one yeah it's a hard one um and I, I think it just goes to show that like anything can happen anywhere and it's just it, it's scary but i mean yeah so there there's a lot a lot going on on this case a lot of theories and and not a lot of answers yeah <laughs> if you have seen the documentary or even just listen to the podcast like 
and you have a theory, let us know. Yeah, let us know. We'll talk if, about it next time. Like, yeah, just let us or know. if you have any thoughts for our next true crime case, which will be in two weeks, um, you can message us um, at the at the podcast Instagram mm-hmm. at Margarita Pot. margarita madness podcast yeah or our individual instagrams i'm at claire.ohagan and mine is at katie.bodison yeah thank you for joining us this week you guys and we will be back on Thursday. thursday see you later have a great week guys bye